Hey, good morning. Welcome to the CCW Safe Podcast. I'm Rob High, and joined again by my co-host, Phil Naiman. Phil, how are you doing, brother? Doing great, my friend. Good, good. Um, we are honored today to have a compadre of mine, Brian Eastridge, join us. Uh, Brian uh, is kind of a jack of all trades. Um, he did some army time, uh, earned that ranger tab, and uh, post, post military, he came through and, and hopped into following his dad and his uncle and his aunt's footsteps. And he's a Oklahoma city police officer. Still, uh, I was honored to have the opportunity to train him 20 freaking years ago. So, uh, welcome Brian. Great that you could join us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, Give us a little bit about uh, your start in the shooting sports because you kind of grew up fully immersed and, uh, you know, everybody knows uh, if you haven't made the connection, uh, Brian's dad is Gary. He's our critical response team manager and my partner. Um, but Brian has kind of forged his own path and uh, really, really became a, a high-level shooter and great instructor and gun plumber and, and all of the above. So give us a little bit of your background there, Brian. Yeah, so uh, pre-9-11, uh, I, I was in the Army during the 9-11. So, uh, but prior to that, uh, I really felt like the, like the military's training on firearms was pretty, pretty bad. Um, and I got issued a pistol one day, I made it into a leadership position, I get issued a pistol. And I realized, it, like, even with my limited experience and knowledge, I knew more than most of the instructors there did. And, you know, to back the bus up a little bit, I had a dad that was a competitive shooter. And uh, so I was exposed to shooting from the time I was three and primarily with handguns. So I, I decided when I was there in the military, I was like, I've got to, I've got to explore this and figure this out. So uh, I started shooting IDPA, USPSA, three gun, anywhere they would take my money and let me shoot a gun uh, and training with a circle of people that a lot of people know now like like the Ernest Langdon's and the Kyle Lambs and and uh people that in that era pre-YouTube they were just the dudes that showed up to matches right and uh you know Ernest was busy winning national championships but I took the opportunity to take a lot of stuff away from those guys and realized that there is a performance level that is miles ahead of of uh what we're doing in the military well, fast forward, I get out of the military and I get on the police department and I go through the police department's firearms training. And I immediately thought this is absolutely archaic, even compared to the military. I mean, and it was good, fundamentally rooted shooting, uh, but there was no performance shooting in it. And there's, there's a pretty, pretty vast difference. There's a wide divide in that. Um, so that was kind of where the quest started to, to do that. And in that area, you mentioned gun plumber, gun all that good stuff. 
Uh, that came about because when I was in the military and when I first got on the police department, the, uh, the Brady bill was still in effect. Right. So most people were gravitating towards single stack 45s and specifically the 1911 pattern guns. And there was a, there was an abundance of gunsmiths, but they were all backed up and they were very expensive. So rather than pay a gunsmith every time I needed my competition pistol to work, I just went and learned to do it myself. So, uh, and that, that began about 20 years ago as well. So that, that's kind of the, the long and short of how, how I got into the, the whole realm of instructing and shooting. And here we are. <laughs> um, it, you mentioned, I, I didn't realize how far behind we were. Now, as, as far as teaching basic firearms fundamentals, as far as teaching uh, how to safely handle and operate a gun, we, we did a really good job there. Um, but we trained fundamentals. We didn't train gunfighters. Um, I think I think a lot of a lot of the public still has that perception that you know a police officer wears a gun every day. He's he's got to be really really good with it. And you know you get these misperceptions like why didn't you shoot the gun out of his hand? Why didn't you just wing him? Um, and those those are people that are just absolutely without clue. You know, they've, they've never had a gun pointed at them. They don't, they don't understand the dynamics that go into mixing the, the psychological and physiological reactions with the simple fundamental practice of pressing a trigger. And um, they're usually in charge of making legislation. Yeah, yeah you're right, unfortunately. Um, but in, in your buildup, um, what, what are you seeing as, as focuses, especially in the civilian realm, in the con concealed carry world, um, with these guys and girls and the training that's available to them out there now? I mean, you've got guys out there that have really, like yourself, that have really kind of, kind of put your foot on the gas and, and stretched and pressed the envelope to see just, you know, how can we really make this thing run? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the in the law enforcement realm and everything I was talking to my, my good friend, Eric Gelhouse, uh, you know, he's a gun sight instructor for 20 years. Great, great human being. And he said, you know, he trains civilians all the time. Or you know, I say, so when I say civilian, I don't mean that to be demeaning. I mean, somebody that's not a sworn uh, armed professional. Right. Uh, and he trains hundreds of them a year at gun sight in his own training company. And we had the conversation that we always view things through the lens of the armed professional cop, because that's our pedigree. Right. And on the cop side of the house, uh, we have this, this word that I absolutely loathe called qualification and people mistake that for training and qualifications. The vast majority of the qualifications and I've shot, hundreds of them from other agencies in other states. Um, most of them are a really bad field sobriety test. That's just, <laughs> I mean, it's just a sad reality of it. Um, 
So I like to change the word qualification to certificate. That means you took your driver's test and now you can drive the car. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people mistake that thinking that is the ceiling. That is, that is the best. If I, if I pass a qualification, no matter how low the standards and the performance really is that I'm prepared to go and be an armed professional. And that's an, most of us, myself included, at some point in our career, we look in the mirror and we have the conversation and we realize we've been lied to by that mentality and we start to explore outside, uh, outside training. The armed citizen side of the house, if you're in a state that mandates you have a, a concealed carry training so that you can get, uh, it's the same thing. And unfortunately, those are I think field sobriety tests are probably a lot harder than most of those standards, but how do we, how do we balance being responsible citizens or mandating people be responsible citizens and not infringe on their, uh, their second amendment. Right. So their, their standards are pretty low. Right. Uh, so there is no quantifiable standard of, Hey, you're a concealed carrier. Uh, this is going to, if you do X, Y, and Z in this training course, then Dominus almost go forth and carry guns. Uh, and a lot more people, I think, on the armed citizen side recognize that than they do on the law enforcement side. So it's, uh, it's quite a quandary, right? Uh, and it all kind of boils down to, you know, what's your mission, what's your goal, uh, and recognizing, having the introspective ability to recognize what your, your your role in the armed populace is, right? So, you know, we've we've seen, man, we've seen we've seen it all over the map as far as trainings available. Um, you know, when you came through, we we qualified you guys on a, on a modified PPC. And still, it's positional shooting from set distances with uh, mandatory magazine changes. Um, but you're you're a stationary target, and you're just sitting there punching holes in paper. Um, as far as developing a, a proficiency with the basic shooting fundamentals, it it did what we ask it to do. Um, I was very marginal when I came through the academy at best. And I was fortunate enough. You, you remember Jim Wheatley. Um, Jim took me under his wing and spent six weeks with me. And we shot three times a week and we shot a bunch. Um, and he really developed my fundamental skills. Um, and then I started shooting on the, on the department pistol team, but Again, the only thing we were shooting in was PPC. So you're still shooting just stationary positions and, and really, really very liberal times on, on all of the things that we were shooting. Um, and it wasn't until I, I kind of got into that a little bit that Jim realized that that was the only shooting I was doing. And kind of pulled me to the side and said, "Listen, you gotta you gotta change what you're doing. You know, work on work on your fundamental stuff all the time, like you're doing. But 
before you leave this range, I, I want you to go through a box of ammo and I want you to do some run and gun stuff and, and set up some stuff and, and start training yourself for a gunfight. Um, there was nobody else on the department that, that ever directed me like that. Um, you know, it was years before we moved to doing any kind of in-service stuff that actually had training beyond just a certification thing. Um, fast, yeah. fast forward to retirement for me, and all of a sudden, uh, I'm meeting all these guys that are very actively involved in training in the concealed carry world. And especially the, the concealed carriers themselves, I was astonished at how good a lot of these people were. I mean, they're, they're better than, than you and I ever got to work when we were working qualifications, working the line with the whole police department. All right, these guys were running a gun and, and doing some things. Um, but we also know that that's still the exception and not the rule, you know, because it's a really small community. Uh, you know, even, even, uh, oh, what was the book you gave me? Uh, you, you told me to get, uh, Enos. Yeah. Practical and, shooting beyond fundamentals and a great, great book. Um, and you get guys like that, that very purposely push the envelope. You know, they, they wanted to see how far can you go? You know, even even today's competitive shooters, you know, we had JJ on a while back and, and you know, JJ Ricasa is one of the best trigger guys walking planet Earth. Um, and still, like everything else in all the other martial arts, martial sports, martial things that we we train ourselves in, uh, the guys that are the very, very best are the guys that do still those simple fundamental things, the very best. Um, and I love watching you and, and Michael when, when you guys are, are working a line together um, and you're, you're like moving that gun around and just slam the trigger, I don't care. But if the gun is steady and it's on target and it's in, it's in your, your window and you're not making something that you're influencing the direction of that muzzle, it, it doesn't matter what you do with that trigger. Um, and it yeah. really, I love watching the faces of guys on your line when you're doing that stuff and they're just like, holy crap, he's wiggling the gun all over the place. Yeah, so I spend um, a, lot of, a lot of time putting those things in context. And that is something that neither side of the house does well. Uh, I've gone to shooting courses that were very, very high level shooting courses uh, where the instructor is preaching and hammering over, hammering you over the head with the basics. And what you realize pretty quickly is they really don't have a grasp of the basics in context. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that multiple times with some very, very well-respected instructors. And it's like, that's where my plight's been is, is just been like, Hey, look, uh, grip stance, side alignment, side picture, trigger control, breath control, and follow through. They're not all equal. They're not all important. They're important in the context they need to be important in. And, uh, I give an example 
you know, I, I, I knew of a very, very high level PPC shooter talking back, back to, uh, police training. He was a distinguished shooter, president's hundred governor's 20 in a very large state gets in a gunfight at six feet and misses with six rounds from a revolver of which he has spent an inordinate amount of time shooting. And you go, this is one of the highest level trigger. Like this dude is a human ransom arrest and he missed a bad guy at eight feet. Yeah. Why does that happen? Well, in the flat range environment, the context of that, he is a master at implementing the fundamentals under those conditions. Um, I kind of, I look at gunfight fundamentals as put the sights between you and the bad guy, pull the trigger, don't move the gun, period. That's, that's about as complex as it needs to be. And we've convoluted this entire process so badly that the end results are stuff like that. Hey, I, I'm a master class shooter and I just missed a bad guy at eight feet that was trying to kill me yeah. and emptied my gun doing it. Um, the other, the other side of the house, when we go to the, like a guy like JJ, that is just absolutely a machine, uh, can do things faster than I can perceive what he's doing. Yeah. When we start permeating that language into the defensive carrier, you kind of miss out on this whole part of, and I, I'm not like knocking JJ or I was just using that as an example, right? I think he's a fantastic, talented human being, but if we don't put in context that performance, what we end up with is people that uh, don't understand that every time they pull a trigger on a pistol pointed at another human being, they're committing a homicide. They're committing the highest felony crime in the country, uh, you know, punishable by death and hoping that the language has an exemption that covers them or not hoping, but they should be familiar enough with that language. But uh, so when you get into the mode of do everything faster, furthermore, you start missing the whole, every single time you press a trigger, you have to be constitutionally exempted for that act. So there's a balance that we have to strike there. Um, so my kind of lane in all of that is uh, I see confusion on both sides of the house, both bad. And it's, and it's, I'm going to beat you over the head with the fundamentals, but if I don't understand which ones are important and how to apply them, it's all a moot point. Anyway, you're essentially just standing there tell talking to someone and hoping that they figure it out at some point. Um, so there's still the, all these great divides between armed citizens, competition shooters, cops, military, um, you know, one of the big conversations that I like to have with people if they're getting into this realm and they, well, I want to go train with so-and-so because he was X this, former that, <laughs> alphabet agency. I go, are you in any risk of rappelling out of a helicopter? No. Are you in any risk of wearing night vision goggles? No. Then maybe your money would be suited better somewhere. Your investment and training would be suited better somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's the same old story and it's perpetual, I guess, is, you know. Well, and we've, we've all seen that just because you can run it like that doesn't mean that you can transfer that knowledge to me either. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of guys out there that are like top shelf running whatever platform it is they're running. Um, 
you know, they are absolute experts with what they do, but they don't necessarily have the ability to, to break that down and make it simple and digestible for somebody like me. Um, so, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's not really financially doable to just, you know, cause these courses are expensive and that's just to pay for the course it has nothing to do to say for, um, whatever my gear is and my, my ammunition and that kind of stuff, you know, time. And, yeah. And time and, uh, travel, you know, cause most of it doesn't happen in your backyard. You got to go somewhere. Um, so, you know, honestly, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, concealcarry.com, Jake, Jacob, his, his group putting on guardian nation conference. I love that conference for the simple fact that we can plug in and we can see all kinds of really, really good shooters, uh, all at once, um, instructors and different, different facets, whether it's uh, gun retention stuff or less lethal stuff or legal matters or just different kinds of shooters and, and the things that, you know, are they, are they teaching you to shoot from concealment? Are they teaching you to shoot with a, a, a subcompact? I mean, everybody's got their own little, little niche. Um, and it kind of lets you kind of sample. It, it's like a little buffet and I can run through and, and taste a little of this and a little of that and see where I want to really invest my money down the road. Um, I like that platform um, for, for that very aspect right there. Um, but, you know, you know, as well as I do, there's, there's sometimes that you guys, you, you find a guy that is like, man, that's my guy. That's, that's who I'm plugging in with for the next however long, you know, there, how many, how many guys are playing in the PGA uh, you know, they're the, they're the greatest golfers in the world. And every single one of those guys has a coach and that coach isn't playing in the PGA, but they've got that skill set that, that they can transfer that knowledge and fine tune things and, and do things like that. And the gun world has those too. <clears throat> you know, we, we run into that. Uh, some of the topics you brought up earlier, Brian, we, Rob and I discussed this quite a bit is, we don't want to restrict anybody's rights from carrying, like to make a hurdle that would exclude them uh, as far as the competency on a firearm side. But on the other side, it is so important that they realize that themselves that, you know, as you're carrying a gun, you it is your right. It does involve other responsibilities. And how do you impart to those people what level um of competency they should have you know it's it's fine you don't want to make it a requirement that it's going to exclude somebody but you want to definitely more than encourage them to stay trained the last thing they want to do is to have to pull pull a weapon in a defensive purpose and have a shot that goes wide you know and then it's on their head forever so we want to make sure that they know what i'm going to ask i'm going to say we want to make sure what level of of training do you think you would recommend? Ooh, that's a, that's a loaded question. A big boy uh, question. Yeah, it's a big boy question. Uh, I don't think there's a ceiling to the amount of training that you should ever under, you know, ever stop at. Um, 
as far and are you talking on the armed citizen side like yes. what level of proficiency that is a really and that's a tough question it's uh, <laughs> a i think that's a trick question i i'm, I'm a little getting a little ticked unintentionally no, no i'm just kidding um, I mean, we so in in a couple of counties that have been qualified with out here yeah you know the qualification was was a breeze honestly you know and and um looking at some of the guys like who were worried about qualifying then they qualified and you look at their targets and you know three yards it looks like a shotgun pattern and this was not not even a timed fire it was just put six in the giant b52 size silhouette um and okay i want those guys to be like carry but there needs to be a way to kind of say you know hey that's yeah i hope you do better hope you do better under stress with adrenaline and bullets flying your way i hope you you know rise to level of education on that yeah and i i have a i have a really strong like second amendment like my right. stance on it is pretty it. flexible uh, i can i can view how someone looks at the second amendment as what kind of person they really they truly are to the core uh because if you and, and i'd say it like that because if you have the audacity to tell someone what they should and what they should not do to defend their life in the most you know traumatic moment in their personal history you're really not the kind of person i want to be around right like to me that's an individual thing right so i don't think we put a i don't think it's necessary to put a a, a stamp on someone to say oh well our self-appointed body of experts has decided right right i, I want to absolutely be, stay away from that yeah exactly um but then the the responsible side of me because uh, you know carrying is your right training is your responsibility having the ability to do that is your responsibility and right. i think it's very difficult to really put us a, a cap on or a, a an entry-level floor on your responsibility so if somebody approaches me and says hey because i've had this conversation in the last week a, a friend of mine i've got two people that i kind of really mentor a lot uh, one of them's an instructor level dude, and one of them started carrying a year and a half ago. And he's constantly, well, how do I know if I'm good enough? And I'm like, if you can answer that question, um, you're, you're probably not good enough, right? Like, you, it's a constant journey. Uh, and, but my thoughts for him were, I said, look, when you can carry the gun responsibly, responsibly safely you can hide the gun on your body and access it safely and put it away safely and then there's a couple of industry or i say industry standard drills that i like to use i say when you can pop 90 percent on these three exercises i would say that you're probably in the one percent of one percent of concealed carriers and he was Oh, well, I do that all the time. And I said, okay, well, you are literally in the 1% of 1% of all armed citizens right now. Uh, so is that good enough? Well, then that's a personal question you got to ask. Um, when it comes to training cops, I go, 
okay, great. You qualified. You shot a 25 on a 25 round qualification course. Can you do that on a target half that size? Can you do that on that target when it's moving? Can you do that on that target when it's three o'clock in the morning and you haven't slept in two days because you're going through a nasty divorce and whatever. <laughs> so there's always another, another, uh, challenge you can put on top of it. Mm -hmm. And we sell people on the idea that, well, if you can do X, Y, and Z, then you're, you're blessed. And it's not the case in either realm. So. Well, and we, we've all met those guys that are, no, it's like the guy you were talking about earlier that, you know, he's, he's a master on a PPC <clears throat> and he misses a, a whole human body at, at eight feet. Um, in his defense, it was a tweaker. He's really skinny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And tweaking. Yeah. He's, he's flinching and jerking all flipping like this, like a, <laughs> yeah. But, but the guys that, you know, you know, we've had guys uh, in Oklahoma city that were like that, you know, you, you watch them on the line and they're, and they're pretty salty and you get them in a real combat situation and you have misses. Um, you know, the, the other thing about these, you know, you, you'd mentioned it earlier about the different things and the responsibility for every single round that you touch off. You know, we've had, you know, you've seen it and crap, Brian, you can probably do it. Um, but you see the guys that are running the gun and they keep that platform just, just rock steady. So, so the recoil management is just off the charts and just looks like a waterfall of casings coming out the side. But, you know, it's, it's impressive that you had the ability to do that. But did you have the ability to reevaluate your scenario each shot? Um, because that's the big deal right there. You know, yeah, build that skill, but also understand the mental aspect of that is the one that keeps you keeps your freedom. You know, you can survive that gunfight, but can you survive that courtroom fight? And that's yeah. a big. Yeah. And, and I misses, right? Like we talk about, oh man, he missed uh, my good friend, Wayne Dobbs. And I, I don't know where he got this quote, but I got it from him. So I'm going to give the attribution to him. Uh, he said, there is no such thing as a miss. None. They all hit something. Yeah. I'm like, man, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I've seen examples of that. Uh, and we can, you know, like Cooper's four safety rules, man, that's a whole, that's a whole, the, the understanding and the context of that is so much deeper than reading range rules. You know, when they say, be sure of your target and what's beyond it, uh, bullets don't just stop in human bodies sometimes. Uh, and that's where I think the police world uh, has a severe disadvantage versus the armed citizens that train uh, is because on the armed citizen side, a lot of the, the circles of training that I see, they are rigidly adherent to the safety rules and not just in the context of uh, I read them, I understand them, but actually the practical applications thereof. My good friend, Daryl Bulky got, I mean, he took a career ending injury on a suspect he could have shot, 
but he's carrying 230 grain plus P gold dots and behind the suspect is a six-year-old kid. Kind of hard to make the decision to shoot someone when the shoot through, when the backstop is not a big piece of earth and dirt, right? So that's where, to me, the LE world just falls off the, off the train. Um, It's, and it's, it's gotten pretty horrific. Uh, I mean, I don't want to like armchair people or really downplay it, but I think we're doing a great, great disservice to the LE community right now uh, with just the state of training. It's, it's, it's not, it's, they're going in the right direction, but there's a lot of ground they got left to cover. And there's a lot of things that they're taking from the competition world that it's like how to get indicted one-on-one. So I'm, I'm real, real cautious about that. Um, I've had a lot of very spirited discussions about that, but, uh, you know, we're, we're making crops of instructors that don't even understand the four basic safety rules and yeah. how they apply the fundamentals and how they apply um, the context of them or how to convey them. So I got to, I got to hand it to the, the armed citizen community that trains is they're light years ahead of, of a lot of the law enforcement. Uh, but there is exceptions to that. Um, you know, the more I, the more I dive into this journey of how to become a better instructor, a better conveyor of knowledge and, and, and experience now, uh, you know, I looked at like LAPD as an agency, their qualifications hard. That's the hardest one I've shot. Now it wasn't hard by the standards of, am I going to pass or not? It was just very challenging. Uh, consequently their agency, the way they train, they shoot really high hit factors in the field. Um, some of the highest in the, in the world, actually, Hmm. um, there, and the more I get into the training loops, what I figure, which all roads lead to gun site and, uh, and Jeff Cooper, uh, I think, and I think the, the law enforcement world would, would do itself a great service to start sending adjunct instructors to that program uh, because that's what LAPD did in the seventies and eighties and they've reaped the benefits of that. So, and that is available to the armed citizen, the same training program. So uh, anyway, it's It's just an hour North to my uh, Prescott studio. Are you serious? Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've been there. Um, I'm going back for a two fifty next year. Have you been through the uh, 250 program? I have not yet. It's, oh. it's new. Gun sight's new to me, but uh, I will be up there. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, all, all the, the innovative police training roads, they all lead back there. Uh, they're in Mid-South, but Mid-South not probably as prominent, but uh, in the, the LE world right now. But, but on the qualification and training thing, I think that's the other area that we – the armed citizens really drive the bus on the training side. Uh, whereas the LE world, they drive the bus on the certification side. And there's a, that, that's a, that's the grand Canyon of, of with, of across the spectrum. Right. So. Well, it, you know, you, you touched on something and Phil and I do this all the time 
and and it was knowing your mission. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we both have friends in in all aspects of this community, um, including holster makers, mm -hmm. and uh, it it just always astounds me. Uh, you you've met Lisa. Um, she she is a holster manufacturer, and she'll have you know she does things specifically for women. You'll get somebody that calls and says, "Hey, I got this, and I want this, and it's got this light and this laser, and blah blah blah." And it was like, "Why are you carrying all that stuff? You know, you you're carrying a light system on it, and you're carrying this, and you're carrying that. Um, is it is it because it's cool? Is it because it's it's what is required for you to be?" competent with with your with your choice of firearm I don't, I don't know i there's so many times that you know you you can't just design every single holster to to take every single kind of fixture and accommodation and and gadget um it, it's for me the the guys that are especially guys that are that are new or kind of intermediate um, man, stay plain. Um, it'll get you a good, safe holster. Um, when you strap it on, have a good belt on. You know, I hadn't mentioned that, but but Brian runs EDC Belt Company. His foundation belt, I think, is the best belt in the country for for concealed carriers. It's super comfortable, um, uh, priced very economically, um, and and it's just a great piece that unless I'm dressed up and, and, and going out on the town, that's, that's my all the time belt everywhere I go. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned here. So part of the mission behind that belt, right? It, you mentioned Lisa talking about, man, why don't you make it with this light and this laser and, and having to have the conversation with people? Uh, why do you, why do you carry all of that? And when I'm off work and I'm in armed citizen capacity, um, uh, I went, I carry a gun and a mag yeah, pepper spray in my pocket, uh, maybe a knife on my other pocket. And I got a flashlight in my pocket. That's just kind of what I just kind of what I, I keep. And I, I think today's society that looks weird. Whereas you go back 30, 40, 50 years and it's like a flashlight and a knife. Like most dudes carried that, right. It was just, might break down in the middle of the night you might need a pocket knife right so i built this lightweight belt and one of the first struggles i had was getting people well if i'm carrying my Roland special with a 22 round magazine and a and a mod light you know x 3000 lumen xyz with a red dot and four spare magazines i go where do you live beirut you know yep. like <laughs> you're going to battle yeah. And I, and I, so I sit back and I, I would qualify their statement. I'd go, well, okay. Well, do you carry that every day? Yeah. Why? Oh, well, you know, so-and-so instructor got me on this bandwagon. So-and-so instructor got me on this bandwagon. And I go, there are plenty of belts made for guys just like you. There's, there's 8 million of them out there. Uh, I build them for like normal earth people. Like I got a gun, I got a knife maybe a flashlight. I'm not carrying a plate carrier and seven spare mags. Like that's not the world I live in. Uh, at various times in my life, it has been, 
but I had like, I had good equipment for that. Right. I'll throw a plug to at like Sam at wilderness mm-hmm. wilderness tactical, like who advertises a competitor. And I don't really, we don't compete in the same space, but if, if you need a heavier belt, dude, wilderness tactical, they'll call them that they'll make you one that'll last you a lifetime. Uh, and it, you can strap 5,000 pounds and repel off of it. Um, and they're great. They're a fantastic product, but that's not the space that I operate in. I, I'm like shorts, t-shirt. If I could figure out how to wear board shorts and flip-flops every day for the rest of my, I'm, that's me. Um, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so to me, there, there's gotta be some balance there and knowing your mission. And I, I see the writing on the wall, this knowing your mission thing. Uh, I posted a picture that got really inflammatory comments. Uh, I posted a very quasi Gucci gun that was painted and had all this stuff. And then I painted, or then I posted a picture of a bone stock G 45, which is what I carry every day. Glock G 45. And I said, which one of these is going to look better in front of a jury? The one, all the cops carry or this like, imagine you've had to use that now. That's a cool range toy, dude. But, uh, wait until a process, a motivated prosecutor gets up with your, you know, uh, OG 107 painted super wonder blaster. Like you got to kind of step back and go, is that for me? Is that, yeah, yeah I might own it, but anyway. you have to, you have to run glitter on it as camouflage. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But but- we talked about that before. A lot of guys, you know, and it's cool. Um, the back plate on a Glock you know, is, can have a message on it. And is that the message? Cause once an incident happens, you lose control of your firearm. You can't like switch it out at home and then come back later. Right. So, you know, you, you want to be careful, just like you said, a motivated prosecutor who isn't motivated to deliver justice, but is motivated for headlines um, is going to really run with that. Yeah, that's, that's a given. <clears throat> and it works it, it, it's they can make it work uh however they need to manipulate it you know we talk about keeping your keeping your trigger weight you know the pull weight uh, pretty close to what just a basic out of the box model would run um but i've i've seen things used in a prosecution where they go with the extra light trigger as proof that this guy wanted to do this a hair trigger and they've done the exact same thing with a, a 12 or 14 pound trigger yeah and that's that, the reason i had to take my bayonet off my p365 yeah. right <laughs> uh, you know and uh, that an appendix carry <laughs> yeah well the uh the, the challenge i've been on for the last almost two years now is i went to the gun shop i bought an off the rack gun and I wanted to see if that would hold up against Tune Beretta's, you know, a, a P320 with the grip module that I like and, and, or a 1911 with the stocks that I like and the action work that I like. And, and so I said, I'm going to carry this for a year and I haven't switched off. It's been over a year now. It's closer to two uh, because the Gen 5 Glock out of the box is as accurate as some of the 
competition pistols I used to shoot. Um, I'm not emotionally attached to it. I have thrown it on the ground. Thanks, Hanny McMood. Uh, and it does everything as advertised better than the guns that I was issued 20 years ago. So now I think we're in this golden age of, you know, we've got these cottage industries out there of gun gunsmiths and stuff like that. That's great, man. It's a, it's an awesome deal. Uh, but I, and I, to back that up a little bit, I don't think the industry would be where it is at without those kinds of people pushing. Yeah. The innovators, yeah. the innovators. So consequently the, the, the producers have had up their game, but we're right. now at a point where it's really not all that necessary. And I really caution people to do too much pretty work to their, their favorite carry gun. Um, it's kind of, uh, and I, and that, man, that incenses some people because they have this emotional attachment to, if I don't have a dual port comp, I can't shoot good enough to defend myself. And I'm like, uh, maybe there's an underlying of they've, problem. They've never had a dual port comp go off at night close to their body too, right? Blowing yeah. all the nice stuff in your face. Yeah, I have a, yeah. I have an ear over here. My left one rings nonstop because of an M4 carbine with a flash hider that went off right next to it in a hallway of a building. That was fun. Uh, I never understood why you guys didn't use, um, you know, like, like a, a comp device. The, one of the, uh, like, fur friends used to make a CRD, concussion reduction device, on those, those weapons for that. Yeah, this was the year 2000. <laughs> We were just barely <laughs> off of iron sights, man. So, uh, <laughs> well, you remember it. Um, you know, I think like you're talking about it is is basic is is awesome. Um, my story, the reason I bought my first Glock is I did my first call it high level um, course, defensive course, and these guys were running a gun and they were great. They're still friends of mine ten years later. And, uh, you know, we're laying down urban prone on the dirt and I've got a SIG GSR, which was a, my favorite 45, mm -hmm. just a beautiful gun and all tuned up. And that thing did not like dirt in its action. And so every, every shot laying there sideways, right? The action opens up, the concussion, the dust comes up and then whoosh, into the action and grinds it, polishes it all day. And, and the gun quit running. And I had to go to the car and get a couple more guns for the, to finish the day. But everything I had, like I had a SIG 220 Sport, I had the GSR, and all those nice, high, awesome pistols had issues with dirt. And I looked around at all these guys shooting these Tupperware guns that ran all day long, and they didn't even clean them. They threw them in the trunk and went home. And I'm like, now maybe there's something here for this style of shooting for when you, when you need it all the time and you can't control the situation, maybe a gun like that is, is something I should look at. And that's what sent me down that road. Yeah. And they're ugly. That was a good road to get on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the dirt road. I was in a, in a class at TACCON with Hanny McMood. We were, uh, kind of had me help him out with a pocket gun block and, uh, I'm doing a demo for him and it was shoot your gun to slide lock and go for your spare gun, your pocket gun. Right. And, uh, he timed that versus timing, reloading your primary gun. 
pretty cool little pressure test, right? So I do both of them and uh, on the shoot the gun, shoot the gun empty exercise uh, with the pocket gun. He's like, you know, the rule was you can abandon your gun. You can reholster your gun. You just as whatever it's, it's essentially a nerd at this point, got an empty magazine and it's a slide lock. So I shoot the gun empty and both hands at eye level, drop it and go for the, the backup gun and end up cutting the time between reloading the pistol down and my Glock skips across the, the, the gravel. And I look around and everybody else has optics and comps and all this extended nonsense on their gun. And they're like, uh, well, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. And I picked it up, dusted it off, put it in the holster. It, I mean, it took some dings, but it's like, I am, I have no emotional attachment to that gun ever. Like, and I've, I've tried to, uh, get away from having emotional attachment to tools. I have, I have safe Queens. I've got vintage revolvers and stuff that, you know, maybe get taken out once every five years and shot maybe. Um, but the guns I carry for business, it's a hammer, you know, it's a screwdriver. It's not, there's no, there's no connection to that other than they're reliable and they're accurate. And like you did in the, like you did in the drill, you had to be willing to drop it because reholstering it is going to take four seconds before you get your next shot off. Right. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and I pulled a pretty quick reload from concealment at about two and a half seconds. Um, But I mean, if you, if you took your gun after you shot it to slide lock, holstered it and then went for your other one. Right. And, uh, that, that was a pretty telling deal when I'm looking around at everybody else and they're going, do I have to throw my gun in the dirt? Like, no, you don't have to, but, um, you might leak if you don't. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But, but there again, uh, we're, we're in a heyday in the industry right now with, with quality stuff that like I've never seen before. Uh, yet we still have people that, you know, are, mixing business guns with range toys and that and that to me is is a bit unsettling uh you know having a trend of that is a bit unsettling uh but it's necessary for some innovation so uh yeah that's kind of my soapbox on that i guess brian for for our carriers out there um you know we've mentioned gun site we mentioned guardian nation um you you brought up Tom Givens TACCON training. Um, what are some of the other stuff out there that that you go, man? There is such great value in this, just for our our everyday listeners that go. You know, I really don't know any of this stuff. Where can I go? <clears throat> yeah, that's... Sig Academy's it's got stuff. So <clears throat> yeah, and I think that is that's where you got to have the look in the mirror and go what what is my role here and i don't really think anybody does uh does it as good as tom gibbons in the traveling format uh with his defensive pistol course and then the the instructor level school that he does i i think those for the armed citizen that that's kind of the gold standard as far as traveling training uh 
you know, there's Clint Smith at Thunder Ranch, there's Gunsight, uh, there's, there's, there's a hundred good facilities out there. Uh, and some of them offer, you know, more, a little more military specific or law enforcement specific, uh, there's there's a lot of good stuff out there in that regard i i tend to lean towards the former le guys that are doing the armed citizen thing uh now uh, wayne dobbs daryl bulky with hits uh because they teach a very practical methodology for the concealed you know the concealed carrier right uh and it's it's a little more mission specific to that. Uh, as far as marksmanship courses and running a gun, uh, Ernest Langdon, good night. That that was not labeled an instructor level course, but as an instructor, that was a cool, that was the golden goose, man. Uh, his his three day in, instruction is is second to none. Yeah. Um, but I I really like I would. I would encourage if you have the opportunity uh, to go train with Tom Givens, that guy, he's got something going on that, that a lot of places don't. And uh, from running the gun to the legalities of it, to the performance of it, to ammunition. I mean, it was the whole package in three days and it was 10 pounds of stuff in a five pound bag. Uh, wow on on raw mechanics and stuff like that there's there's lots of people teaching that um i really i really enjoy chuck haggard greg greg elifritz those guys uh they've really made that distinction between cop and armed citizen very very well yeah um so yeah you know, one, one thing i want to point out here um you're a master class shooter right I mean, high-end competition shooter, instructor, and look at how many courses you rattled off. I like this three-day course, this one over here. I mean, the level of training that even at your level of shooting you're taking from other people, I think tells a lot. And if we want to get better, we need to, you know, it is an investment in our time, our treasure, and our talents that, uh, you know, look at somebody, your level of shooting that is still going to these uh, very impressive training courses. I think that speaks a lot to your professionalism. I appreciate that. And, and for me, it's, I, d I don't great garner any great pleasure from going, well, I've trained with so-and-so and I've trained with so-and-so and I it, like that to me, it's not a. Got a certificate. It's, yeah. It's not a status <laughs> thing that I've, I've trained with people or, or this or that. I, I, it really insert name. I don't, I don't really. I don't really find value in going to train with people just to say you've gone to train with people. Yeah. Um, but for me going to these courses, it's not a matter of this guy's going to be some earth shattering method of, 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 of shooting. Like I'm not, I kind of got that part of it. I get it. I'm not worried about, am I going to perform good in this class because I'm there to learn. And on the instructor side, all I'm there to really take away is how people convey these concepts to other people. His uh, methods, and, teaching methods. Yeah, and like drills and exercises. It, I've, man, I've shot a hundred and thousands of them. I, they're all kind of rooted in the same mentality. Uh, hit the target in a given amount of time, right? Like it, 
at a, at a certain distance or, or whatever, but, uh, but I'm looking for how does this person run a line? How does this person manage students? How does this person manage uh, ammunition and time and fatigue and weather uh, and still get the message across or give convey somebody to somebody to give them a higher understanding of, of the process? And I've, <laughs> I've spent a lot of money to go and get a two-minute nugget from somebody. I'll just put it that yes. way. Yeah. And, and some of those nuggets are worth the price of admission though. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> there's to, Tom Gibbons class. I felt like was underpriced. I'll put it that way. That was just a pile of them. I'm like, Oh, I'm writing that down. But, uh, but well, was, it, was it Gibbons G I V or Gibbons G I B G I V Tom Gibbons range master is his, his, yeah. his company. Um, and uh, great, absolutely fabulous training. Uh, I, I wouldn't, the, the instructor level course might bury somebody that's kind of new to the game, but, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's, a, it's a healthy dose of reality. Uh, I've looked forward to, to having an opportunity to, to take part in some of that. And, and actually I will this next spring at Range Master at TACCON. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. <clears throat> um, one of the things, and Brian's touched on this a couple of times, um, and I, I'll, I'll go to my whole experience, whether it's in a wrestling room or in a dojo or uh, on the line shooting or running a shoot house or whatever. Um, the thing that has always been the standard for the best of the best is those guys do the basic fundamentals better than anybody else. You know, you can watch, you can watch Olympians and Jordan Burroughs does a double leg takedown better than anybody on planet earth. Um, and it's the same, you know, it's the very first takedown any little kid learns when they first start. Same with judo, you know, the, the best in the world do the simplest of techniques. They just do it better than anybody else. And the same goes with gunfighters. Those guys have, have fine-tuned and honed that skill. Um, and the one thing they do that, that separates them is, is they keep that platform still and, and they don't interfere with what the gun is supposed to do. You know, they just make it function. Um, that's the biggest deal. You know, even when we had JJ on, he talked about, uh, just the simplest of things. I mean, if you spent five minutes, uh, when you get home from work and practice your draw stroke, you know, make your gun safe, empty it out and just practice your gun stroke. Um, or if you sit on the couch and just do magazine change after magazine change, you know, and, I, you know, I know you guys see it, but you still see guys dropping the magazine out here and still trying to insert from, from arm's length instead of bringing everything into your workspace and back up on target and marrying your hands together and that kind of thing. Or just learning how to prep that trigger and dry fire. Um, there's so many little things. You got any, you got any tips or anything for anybody, Brian? Yeah, so training is one thing practice is another and a mm -hmm. lot of people confuse that uh 
you know, I've heard people say, well, I got to practice so I can go to this training course. And I'm like, mm, yeah, you're kind of missing the point. Uh, what I like to do is break down each process on the, on the gun uh, into its own section, right? So draw to first shot, right? That's, that's, a, <laughs> that's probably the most critical skill that you, you ever need. To, if, if you ever need to master one, that's the one anchor the first shot period. Um, Cause you can't miss fast enough to win anything, a competition, a gunfight. It, it, you can't miss fast enough to win. Uh, and if you anchor the first shot, the chances of you having to make a second, third, fourth, fifth shot, they're going to incrementally go down yeah. and your hit factor is incrementally going up. Does that make sense? Like, if you miss, chances are you're going to continue to miss. Yeah. Um, and I say miss in the context of miss your intended target. Right. Uh, it's going to hit something, right? But but I break that process down into one skill. That's a skill set, a draw to a first shot. And that's draw from a duty rig, draw from a concealment rig. And then I look at raw marksmanship fundamentals of being able to fire the pistol on demand, which is... You never hear that in the fundamentals, but that's the ultimate goal. Um, I don't know where we got off the rails with let sh a shot surprise you. I tend to call those negligent discharges, uh, but <laughs> I understand the theory behind it. Sure. Um, but sites, finding the sites, how I present the gun to find the sites, how I find the sites from different positions. Each one of those things is its own separate skill set. And it does not require nearly as much time investment as people think to do that with a dry gun, an empty gun, and, you know, in a quasi safe area and practice an individual skill set for three to five minutes once a week. Uh, you do that over the course of a year. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's not, not rocket science. It's just repetition. Yeah. Um, and then I, I kind of look at the, the very critical skill sets is access the gun, put it on target and anchor the first shot. That's skill set. Like that's number one above all else. Uh, and then firing on command or firing on demand. Uh, that's, that's number two. And they kind of go hand in hand, uh, reloads, malfunctions, all that stuff. I consider that like secondary skill sets. It's, if you get it, if you bring enough skill to the party early, you're not going to have to dig for skills late in the game. Yeah. If that makes, makes no, sense. It's a great little nugget. Phil, you got any takeaways for us today? I think it's just fantastic that he was sharing this information with us. And um, it comes down to the part of being, keeping it simple, right? doing your practice, keeping it simple and realizing that we need to practice. I mean, I'm glad so far you haven't asked me about my two last matches I shot. So, you know, the humbling effects of going to a match is, is an amazing part of training, I think also. So you can see how good other people are and uh, be able to make your judgments there. You know, I've always that as, as a way to, to 
to improve myself though. I, I love the fact that you're good at what you do or Brian's really good at what he does. It, it just gives me a measuring stick for me. Um, that, that, that's the way I've always kind of viewed it, even, even in a combat sport. Exactly. You know, my, I mean, I, I actually really, really love doing that because they, um, it's just, the, it's great guys and they're such good shooters and you get to watch them and, and see what they're doing. So, you know, for the uh, matches are pretty inexpensive compared to an all day training course. And, uh, I, I think I got a lot more watching these guys, how they were doing things right. Uh, and the times they were putting in was really pretty impressive. So I, I got a lot out of that. Yeah. I, and I, I provided the uh, plucky comic relief for their day. So I, uh, before I ask you how your two matches went, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I use competition shooting as a pressure test for my equipment more so than a pressure test for skill sets. Uh, just be simply because there's rules that maybe don't necessarily apply in, in, right. but again, it's, it all falls back to context. Uh, my dear friend, Michael Burgess, uh, he just, he went out and shot and I'm going to have him on my podcast here in a couple, couple days, but he went out and shot an IDPA match and exercised the, the safety rules to a fault. And what I mean, and I don't mean that to a fault bad, um, to the point that it, he wanted to see, can I still be competitive and follow Cooper's four safety rules? Can I, can I implement that? Not muzzling a no shoot target. Don't point guns at people that don't need guns pointed at them. And he took some video clips of this and I'm like, Hey, there's a guy that's willing to hang it out there at the cost of, you know, most of the matches he goes and shoots, he's in the top three to five people. So, and he placed eh, about middle of the road in, in this, this pack of shooters, but he, he held rigid to the four safety rules. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is a, a good place to do that. But if you're going to be competitive, you're not, it, you know, you're going to have to violate some of these, these real hard, fast. That's a good point. Um, yeah. And that, that was, <laughs> I got to commend the guy for being willing to, willing to sacrifice his, you know, money and time to go do that and do it in front of other shooters that are there to win a match. So, so I think as long as you keep that like in context of, uh, of how you, you view that. And, you know, I used to shoot three gun a lot and I had a partner on the street that said, I'd never go do that. Cause I'm never going to go to a match where a shotgun is going to be the, the deciding how fast I can load a shotgun is going to be the deciding factor. And I said, fair enough. Have you ever pressure tested your shotgun in those conditions? No. Well, have you ever attempted to reload under a great deal of stress and keep the, keep the pig fed, right? Like right. Ever done that? No. Well, here's a good way to do it. Cause you're not going to do it out here on the flat range by, you know, yeah. with nobody watching, yeah. um, AR stuff, right. Uh, shooting, shooting three gun, you know, the carbine is a big, big part of it. And there are certain things that just fell apart, um, pretty quick. <laughs> I used to I used to shoot some of the soldier of fortune rule, three gun matches. And that would tell you really quickly how rugged your setup is and how, how, how dependable your equipment is. 
Uh, and if you take that away from it, great. And then if you want to go down the rabbit hole and chase the grand master dragon, go chase it, man. It won't, it's not going to hurt anything, uh, but it's all about knowing and defining your role, your mission, and put, keeping that in the context of your role and mission. Um, one of my, one of my favorite arguments is like split times. They're like, well, well, how fast can you shoot a split? I'm like, I, I can, if I'm really pushing, I could shoot 16 splits, but if I want to hit the target exactly where I want to hit it every single time, I can't push that beyond about 0.35 to 0.45. That's a, and we can get into the brain science of that, but, uh, and oddly enough, when I get around dudes from like LAPDD platoon and, and some of the best shooters on planet earth, operationally, they shoot at about a half second shot to shot because they can assess everything going on yeah, uh, and still make decisions behind the gun and not leak shots into the general public. Correct. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> well, Brian, you touched real quick. You, you mentioned your podcast, tell her, tell our folks what it is. And cause there's, there's always going to be some nuggets you guys can pick up from, from his guests as well. So, and the website for your belts. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's that I'll start with the belt company is EDC belt company. Uh, we'll be at the guardian conference. We got a booth there and we'll sell some product there, but it's edcbeltco.com, Just like it sounds EDC belt, B E L T C O.com. Uh, build concealed carry belts and they are made for like normal earth people. They're made to be comfortable, wear like a leather belt and, and, be a nylon adjustable belt. Um, and then I've got the off duty on duty podcast. It's off and then on. And there's, there's reasons behind that, uh, mainly to do with, uh, the other web domain was already purchased. So, <laughs> so off duty on duty.com. And, uh, I try to release a podcast about once a week, usually on Wednesday or Thursday, sometimes, uh, with life, I have to skip a week, but, uh, and it's primary focus and mission is we take law enforcement perspective and concealed carrier perspective and kind of explore some of the differences, some of the overlaps and kind of what the mission of the two is and the equipment. And it's, it's kind of all over the map, you know, but, but the primary thing is, Hey, this is concealed carriers talking to cops and cops talking to concealed carriers. And it's, uh, it's been pretty successful. So had a lot of really great guests, had some former military guys that are now in the, the armed populace that are, uh, that are pretty informative. Yeah. Brother, thank you so much for coming on and sharing some knowledge with us. What'd you got, Phil? No, I just said, that's always fun. That's awesome. So we want to thank everybody for tuning in again. Uh, we appreciate you and uh, always looking forward to your, your comments, questions, suggestions. You can get me at rob at ccwsafe.com and uh, I'll, I'll get back with you. Um, we look forward to having everybody join us again next week and we thank you for tuning in. Thanks guys. Bye.